The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. One day I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Tear? Sarah Jane? And welcome once again to the Doctor Who pod, proudly brought to you by SJP World Media. I am Sly, and joining me as always, if you know, fighting through some technical difficulties my end and the streamyard being a dick and all this other stuff as well, but still joining me as ever is my partner in time, Mr. Dan Griffin. How are you, my friend? There's nothing quite so humbling as having a massive clear out and realizing how much less fat you used to be, is there? Because that's what I've been doing today. <laughs> So yeah, uh, remembering a, a better a better time when uh, there was a lot okay, less of yeah. me and Doctor Who was new on our new back to our screens. See, majority of my shirts, older tops anyway, because mo- most of my tops now are wrestling based and stuff like that. But the majority of my shirts going back a f- few more years are tour shirts from gigs and festivals and stuff I've been to. So mm. mine are literally on the back; they've got the tour dates. So my shirts are literally dated, so you can see how fatter I'm getting month by month. <laughs> it's like that thing in the simpsons where they use where they did um Bart and lisa's height and homer's weight just like drawing drawing uh, drawing lines around where his, uh, his his gut got to yeah yeah definitely <laughs> uh on today's episode of the doctor who pod we are looking at the very first episode of the relaunch reboot restart however you want to word it uh the eccleston episode for this season of our podcast entitled rose but I also think we're going to dive into a little bit of how we both felt about Doctor Who returning from two very different viewpoints. Dan, you having only seen the movie, and I was a fan of classic Who and remember it first time round from when I was much younger and McCoy was on television and so on. I think it's going to be quite interesting touching upon that, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I was really excited to see Doctor Who coming back because... Other than the movie, you know, I was coming in with a blank slate. I roughly knew who Christopher Eccleston was. I knew Billy Piper as a pop star, but I had no frame of reference. So I wasn't quite sure what to expect from it all, other than it was than it was sci-fi. So yeah, it was. I was going in completely blank slate, as I say. Okay, but I mean, the the movie itself was something that you you said you loved. So. With regards to seeing this first episode of Doctor Who, were you, were you expecting more like the movie? Were you excited, thinking that, that there was going to be a TV show that was going to be very similar to the movie that you enjoyed? Um, how did you find the casting with regards to Eccleston as the Doctor? Uh, having seen McGann as obviously the, the only Doctor you were familiar with, was there a lot going on there that you liked or disliked, I suppose? Um, I was old enough. I was 16 when they said, so I was old enough to have sort of a bit of restraint and know that it wasn't going to be like the movie that I loved when I was a kid. 
because that was already kind of nostalgic for me. You know, it'd been out, what, probably nine years, or the best part of a decade by then. Uh, I was excited for the uh, for mm-hmm. the Eccleston uh, casting because I'd seen him in uh, seen him in a couple of bits. Uh, I think he was he was the villain in Gone in sixty seconds, uh, the remake with Nicolas Cage. That sprung to mind uh, for some reason, so I was excited for that. And of course, he's you know he's a northerner, and there's always a bit of bias from uh, from us lot up here in our uh, in our various complexes and whatnot. Uh, so I was excited for that. It was it was sort of like I say, it was it was going in with the little bits you get just from sort of osmosis through pop culture, you know. So I knew what the Daleks were, I knew what the Cybermen were. But I wanted to see how it all fit in and how it all be just how it unfolded. Really, um, I would, like I say, well, excited with the casting. Billy Piper. It was, it was the same. Now, you know, when you see a pop star going into acting, or, or you know, sometimes even the reverse, an actor trying to trying to sing, you're always a bit dubious. Um, but that was uh, everything else. I was looking at, thinking, well, I don't know who they are, so I can't really judge. <laughs> Uh, what about you, Sai? How did you find the uh, the casting and, and all the bits of it uh, with Doctor Who coming back? Um, Eccleston, I didn't really have an opinion on because I think I was just more focused on Billy Piper because, to me, Billy Piper was just the young girl who sang, you know, because we want to. And the fact that she was getting cast for Doctor Who, I'm not going to lie, pissed me off. I didn't want her involved. I was like, nope, that's not right. <laughs> you know, I, I'm just basically being a complete dick about the whole scenario. No, no pop stars in Doctor Who. How dare they? Be gone with you. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> Be gone, teeny bopper. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's a thing of... I mean, I was a completely different person, obviously, when Doctor Who relaunched. It relaunched in 2005, so I was, what, 20... Bloody hell, 24 at that point. Mm. The last time I watched Doctor Who, I was... Uh, actually on the television as it aired i was eight or nine so it's a completely different situation of course but i'd seen a lot more in between that and i was always a big fan and watching all the old vhs tapes and so on and and we the 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 reboot to the 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 new who so to speak it is obviously a different show isn't it let's be honest mm-hmm. it covers things in a different way there's a different feel to it than the classic who and it's not just a an age thing. It's not just a, a when it's being released or when it's being made situation. I think it makes a conscious effort to approach things in a slightly different way than the classic Who does. But I mean, we'll get into it w- with regards to the episode we're looking at in a moment. But there was quite a few moments that I loved watching this back. Uh, you know, well, not watching it back, watching this for the first time, shall we say, uh, as a as a Who fan seeing Doctor Who return. But then there was also quite a few moments I was a bit like, ah, oh, I ain't sure about this. Do, mm. do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I mean, the, the thing that um, that always gets me is, I remember because um, I used to watch it all with my dad and still do where we can. Um, I remember him and my uh, my friend's dad watching uh, the David Tennant era. You know, when he, he's getting you know, when he's kissing Rose when she's possessed by Cassandra and all this, and he's that's not right. The Doctor doesn't kiss anyone. You know, what, what's all this going on? <laughs> yeah, I feel the same. I, I still to this day feel the same. I hate it. Yeah, yeah I can kind of, it, it does, I don't know, it's, it sounds daft in a show that's, you know, about a, a couple of thousand year old alien whizzing around all time and space. But it somehow always feels a bit weird, given that they are so old and, and the companions are so relatively young when there's any it, sort of romantic entanglement. It's It's icky, I think. I don't... <laughs> I mean, it's it's like they're not uh, exactly. He's an alien, and to to him, 
the human companions are aliens. There shouldn't be any kind of interaction like that. That's icky. And then secondly, the age thing is, you know, like ultimate nonce, isn't it? This guy's like millions of years older than the. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? It's so like you're boiling whole... down. You're boiling down your favorite. Your favorite show that is now into its 71st main episode. Uh, your favourite show, and our podcast is now into the 71st main episode, and you're now saying that your favourite show is one that the main character is, by your description, essentially a turbo nonce. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. You're determined, to, that. you're determined to ruin this for us, aren't you? I know, I, you said you, I know you said your silly was coming out this afternoon after work at time of recording, but bloody hell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the weird thing is, I look at the Whitaker era then and the whole stuff with Yaz. I felt that when that when that started, that felt very crowbarred in. Mm. Because it, it came a little bit out of nowhere in the last, you know, the last sort of run of, of Whitaker. There was no build up, no inkling towards it, no no subtlety. I don't know, you, you say that. Sorry, looking back over a couple of episodes, I'm starting to think there was more there than than we realised. But okay. anyway, that, that's a that's a discussion for another day. But I, I've seen bits, and maybe it's with the benefit of hindsight and retrospect and whatnot that I'm actually realising that it's there, or maybe I'm just putting one, two and two together and getting seven. I don't know. Um, but I'm, I've watched a couple of episodes in recent months, and like I say, I think there's a little bit there was a little bit more there than we're maybe giving him uh, old uh, Chibnall credit for. Okay, fair enough. Maybe I missed all that. I don't know. It well, I missed it me. first time round. <laughs> Yeah, it felt well. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm talking kind of first time round, I suppose. But it felt to me like it was forced in there at the last second to, uh, to because you know time was running out and and something had to happen. Potentially, I, I don't know the, the thought process behind it, but it really did feel like it came out of nowhere for me. And at the time, again, hated it because I'm thinking, no, stop it. The doctor doesn't get involved with his companions. It's not the way it should be, and all all this sort of stuff. By the time. We got to the last episode and Whitaker regenerated. I wasn't saying, yeah, I hope they kiss or anything like that, but I, I felt it was dealt with really well in the fact that that line wasn't crossed, but you could kind of tell there were still feelings between them, and then she had to go off because she was going to regenerate. I thought it was, I thought it was the ending was was done really well, considering how against mm. it I was when it initially began. The whole stuff with Rose, as a perfect example, is. To me, too far, because it, it, it ends up there in a, you know, she wants a relationship with the Doctor that, in my mind, should never be allowed to happen because he's from another fucking planet, for crying out loud, and all this oh, sort of you, stuff. You old, you old space fuddy-duddy. <laughs> but then uh, you look at the stuff with Martha, and, and, and Martha idolised him and wished that she, he felt the same way back, and, and so on. That as, as annoying as it was the way she would pine after him sometimes, it was just sometimes a case of, come on, love, give your head a wobble. This has gone on long <laughs> enough now. But it was a case of, okay, that I didn't mind as much because the doctor wasn't sort of, you know, giving those feelings back, so to speak. How do you feel about River Song? Um... Uh... I don't mind the idea of there being somebody out there the Doctor's had a relationship with at different points. I like the way the timelines don't ever quite sync up and they've got to check whereabouts they are. and so that, That's quite funny. That's, that's, that's good fun. Um, but again, I don't like the idea the Doctor's been married. You know, it's just like... 
you know, just let the guy be the doctor. Let him be the doctor that I grew up with. But and again, it is me thinking. <laughs> I, there I, it I, is. I, yeah, exactly. It's, that's exactly what it is. I fear change. You know, it's. In fact, that is. Again, I was kind of proven wrong with River Song because. I didn't like the idea at all, but I ended up loving the character. What I was building up to with the River Song thing was just going to say, so you're fine with your, so you're fine with the Doctor shagging the companions' daughters, but not the companions. <laughs> yeah, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, I, like I say, it, it, it was a whole thing, you know, for for decades with with the Doctor being this sort of aloof, separate character, mm. wasn't it? And I think at least at least with Rose and uh, th- sorry at least with Rose the um, the story played out over several seasons, right? Yeah, you know it took several years in in our to you know viewing terms to to come to, to fruition. Not you know it wasn't done within a season, um, so I can see that. I can see why that come about, and they, and they explain it really well, and, and you know, saying it was, you know, the doctor's just come off the time war, and, and she brought him round to being the doctor again after the war doctor, and all of that. They brought that around really well, I thought. Yeah, uh, yeah, I get that. And, and there was never actually anything, or never sort of officially anything between Rose and and the doctor. It was always there, bubbling. Hmm. Yeah, was, I suppose. I don't know, I heard that too. Somebody's breaking into your house, mate. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> uh, but okay, we'll, we'll, we'll dive into this this, this episode here, uh, the, the relaunch, the reboot, etc. 26th of March 2005, it, the first episode of the new Who was released. Just turned 16 and I was. Bloody hell, yeah, I was 20... You talk 20, about being, 24. You talk about being a different person when they said, Jesus Christ, the difference between 16 and... and However old I am now, 34. <laughs> <laughs> Massive. Yeah, difference between me being 24 and, well, bloody hell, pushing 43 now. Shit me, scary thought, in it? But there we go. Um, something else I'm not a fan of, the logo. Don't like that. Oh, see, this is the thing. This is where we differ because this, to me, is effectively the... Apart from you know the movie aside, this is the start of my Doctor Who fandom. Yes. You know, for, from week to week telly. So it's... It's nostalgic for me, but it is dated already, you know, 18 oh. years later. Yeah, and we, we're going to come to a moment later on that really dates it, I think. Really, does, it, really does it involve a wheelie bin? It fucking does it ever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like I said, I, I, I'm not a fan of the logo. I appreciate everything gets updated, though, to make it more modern and so on. Um, but I, again, I was sat there thinking I'm not a fan of this. But when the music was playing, I was like, Okay, great. The music is, you know, Doctor Who's back. This is great. And obviously then we get to uh, Rose, whose alarm clock goes off, and she's getting up and going to work in a busy London. Ah, but uh, before that, mate, you, the, the very first shot, so after, we, and I, I always think this era's Vortex entrance uh, intro is cool as well. I like Oh, yeah, it, yeah, that, that is cool. I do like that. Yeah, the the um, the font on the... Uh, <laughs> on the names of the actors is all uh, a little bit Microsoft Paint, but you know that's a nitpick. Um, the f- instantly, we're looking at the moon and the stars, and we're panning over to Earth, and the camera's zooming in from the moon right into Earth, into London, and into that alarm clock. I thought that was a really good shot. You're instantly saying space, sci-fi. Here we go, and then it's 
it, like you say, it's into that montage of, of Rosie's day working in the department store, all very, very normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, I suppose the first real proper moment where the montage or the scan through her her standard day stops is when she's leaving work and she is stopped as she's leaving work and the security guard gives her a bag of cash and then we find out it's the lottery money which has to be passed over to wilson who i'm assuming is some kind of warehouse guy or caretaker or some description down in the depths of the, the department store <laughs> even though his office says ceo oh does it oh okay yeah. i didn't notice that <laughs> and i um, thought it was a joke or some, you know, I was like, "Why is the CEO's office in the basement? It's got to be, you know, it's got to be like, oh, he's been here so long. He's, you know, he's he runs the place and stuff like that." Ah, uh, okay, fair enough. And then it gets creepy, doesn't it? Pretty much it straight is. off the bat. And I like this because it's the young lass walking around on her own. The door shutting behind her. There's no real lighting, or, or there's lighting, but not you know, not very good mm. lighting. It's a bit atmospheric and so on. And you know something is going to happen, and she's hearing noises, but you don't quite know what yet. And, it's, and it's very classic horror. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. And she's walking past all of the the mannequins, the the, the shop dummies, mm-hmm. and none of them are moving as yet. But you know that's what's coming, don't you? Yeah, you just. I found myself just scanning the background, waiting to see the first one move. Mm-hmm. And I've but also I'm just, I'm uh, got my horror movie head on saying never go in the dark room for fuck's sake. No. Just just take the lottery money and then put it give it in tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Well this is it. Well it might it might have been you know, for all we know, could, that that money that needs to be he's getting the tickets on his way home. What if their numbers came up? How pissed off would they have been with Rose? Well, yeah, they all need that money given what happens next. Well, this is true. This is true. Um the dummies start moving. And I enjoy this because it's a throwback to Spearhead from Space, isn't it? With, with the, the Autons and, the, and the, the plastic coming alive and all that sort of stuff. That I got a big kick out of, especially later on when they're coming out the shop windows. But See, um, looking back at it now, I appreciate it for how creepy it is. Okay. At the time, I wasn't massively into, um, into sort of horror movies. And again, 16-year-old, a little bit snarky. I was thinking, okay, yeah, that's fine, whatever bit weird what's you know where's the actual sort of where's the actual monsters mm-hmm. but looking back on it now i think it looks it looks bloody brilliant yeah um but yeah i wasn't um but also i didn't have the, the sort of the link to the autons so i didn't know what was i didn't know if it what it was referencing or anything like that i didn't have a clue and i've still not seen all of spearhead from space to be honest it's it's good that is good that I mean there's some pretty ropey special effects but it's good yeah it's good but uh the, the dummies, as we mentioned, are moving, and they're kind of closing on Rose, and she's shouting and yelling. This is a practical joke and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, fucking Derek. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and she kind of gets cornered, and it looks like she's going to basically get clobbered by these the, these plastic beings before we get the first sighting of the Doctor. And he grabs her hand and just says, run. And they run, and they peg it. And, and again, this is going back to Classic Who again, because there's a fuck ton of running away in Classic Who, let's be honest. We've seen yeah. plenty of it in the podcast. They get to a lift, the Doctor snaps an arm off, and in the lift they have their first little interaction, don't they, as they're sort of departing the uh, the basement, Dan? Yeah, this it kind of amused me, because Rose is there assuming that it's students being silly um, and all that, which is such a, a very human rationalisation. And she's greeted with a bombshell from the Doctor that Wilson's dead. I love that. 
I love the way not that Wilson's dead. That's a shame. But I love the <laughs> I love the way she's there going. What about Wilson? And, and and the doctor goes, "Who's Wilson?" And she she said, "Oh, he the bloke downstairs." And he literally just goes, "Oh, Wilson's dead." And that's that. Doesn't even give it a second thought because I think this is a part of, and we see it with Mickey as well later on, don't we? How he's just so not blasé. That's the wrong term, but so I suppose dismissive in a way of things yeah. like that because this version of the doctor we find out later on is you know kind of a bit broken and happy to travel on his own uh, and so on and he doesn't have that more i don't know the correct term more softer side i suppose when it comes to people being killed i guess well he's effectively traumatized from from the time war mm. and you know you know the things that he thinks he did effectively because that was all obviously retconned and, and and brought around in the in the 50th anniversary special but yeah he's very coarse and and cold and it's almost a it's he's actually at this point got more in common with colin baker looking back yeah yeah it doesn't, have, it doesn't, it doesn't have the arrogance I did watching this back on this occasion yesterday. I watched it for the recording. I've seen this episode plenty of times. I watched it on my own a couple of times. I watched it with Charlie. Um, and I was watching it again with Charlie yesterday. Cause whenever we watch any new who for the podcast, she likes to come and sit down and watch it as well. Mm. But this is the first time I've watched it back, obviously since doing the podcast and being as far into the podcast as we are and seeing much more of Colin Baker and really sort of sitting down and taking notes and and breaking down the episodes that Colin Baker is in. Mm. I've got a note here saying I'm getting Colin Baker vibes from him right now. Yeah. The thing is, like I said, he doesn't have the arrogance, but he does have this sort of, like I said, this cold, calculated, almost haughty element to him, but you can tell he's still, unlike Baker, he's doing this out of, compassion and, and outright says he's, he's wanting to save every stupid ape that that roams this planet you know mm. so he's obviously he's still got love for humans he just doesn't necessarily want to be bothered while he's saving us yes yeah. which is which is a, it's almost a i don't, I don't know it, i was gonna say paternal but it feels more like he's keeping us like pets <laughs> like he's <laughs> Like he's, you know, like he's overseeing a zoo or something like that. <laughs> no, I get you. I get you. I did like uh, when he said, though, sorry, when he says, uh, when he says the, the, uh, the living, he just sums it up saying, and this is a feature of this doc saying, the, the living plastic creatures being controlled by relay on the roof and he's going to blow it up. He might die in the process. Don't tell anyone about me as you'll get them killed. And then he, he goes to leave, comes back and says, oh, I'm the doctor, by the way. What's your name? And she says, Rose. And he says, run for your life, Rose. And that's oh, it. That- the delivery of that is just yeah a high rose run for your life it's it's brilliant it is really good uh, rose does leave but she still has the arm that the doctor has snapped off in the lift and then there's a bloody big explosion and that's it you know her, her, it looks a decent explosion yeah but this moment here is one of the first moments i got proper goosebumps watching it back when it restarted in 2005 yeah. because rose runs away and she runs past the tardis and it was just that it was just that moment of oh my god there it is it was just so exciting for me you know yeah it was that was brilliant and the thing i like looking back is it didn't register at the time with me but looking back now it's it it looks a bit knackered mhm a bit worn a bit you know it, a bit tattered 
does the TARDIS there. And then obviously they clean it up in later seasons, particularly under Matt Smith um, and Peter Capaldi. But yeah, it's just great. And it's just there. Uh, a slight lingering shot. And you just, even like I say, even if you were almost completely new to Doctor Who, I still knew the police box. And I'd just sit there and say, ah, TARDIS. <laughs> mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, that evening, she's sat at home and her mum is uh, ringing around saying she's oh. home. She's saying, and this is, I, I love Rose's mum. She's such a great character, isn't she? <laughs> I hated her at the time. Did you? Okay. <laughs> Looking back now, Jackie Tyler, brilliant character. But in this scene particularly, I remember thinking, what the fuck is she on about? She's there, you know, saying, oh, friend who, uh, friend, a friend of a friend works for the Mirror, £500 for an interview constantly on Rose's ass about compensation and then the next morning already on at her about getting another job mm-hmm. thinking fuck just shut the fuck up and leave her alone yeah and um, we also meet Mickey for, uh, well we, we met him earlier on saw clips of him in the, in the montage of Rose's day but here we meet Mickey properly speaking uh, of Bellends oh my god uh, they they work very hard I think here to make Mickey look like a knobhead don't they they really do yeah and it's just so at least with Jackie, she's like trying to make the best of a bad situation. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she's going about it in a fairly shitty way, but you know, she's thinking you can get money, you know, get money in tied, you know, tied her probably, presumably her and Rose over, you know, get a bit of brass in and whatnot. Mickey's there just trying to get to go to the pub because he's he knows that she's safe now and just wants to go watch the football. Yeah, what a stroker. Stroker, uh, that one. Yeah, what an absolute melt he is. Yeah. Um, and he did that stupid thing he does pretending to strangle himself with the arm. Yeah. When she yeah. tells him to chuck it in the bin, it's just like, okay, Mickey, bit of a douche. Mm. He's blatantly punching here, isn't he, to be with Rose? Let's oh, be honest. massively. Oh, dear. Um, he, Mickey does take the arm out, throws it in the bin on his way to the boozer, having just left his your girlfriend who was like momentarily near death experience yeah exactly exactly what a dick and uh the next morning we are at then and rose's um alarm goes off but she doesn't need to get up because she hasn't got work she's got nowhere to go to work her, pl- her work has been blown up by the doctor and she has an argument <laughs> with her mum about the cat flap <laughs> did, you, did you hear what she said before that i know i mentioned the compensation thing did, did you hear the example that Jackie put forward? No, go on. She said her mate got uh, got two grand because uh, working at the council because oh, someone yeah. said she looked Greek. Like she is yeah. Greek, but that's not the point. <laughs> <laughs> Something about that just really tickled me. I don't it's know what brilliant. it was. It's just yeah. a, like proper chancer. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah, the, the cat flap as well though. That was it. Manages to make something quite mundane. Vaguely scary, mm. or yeah. creepy. Again, it's that waiting, isn't it? It's the it, I, I, we've said it before on the show here, haven't we? That it's not seeing the monster in the horror movie that's always the scary part. It's the yeah. anticipation that's the scare. It's like, um, we, we know what it's going to be. Yeah, yeah of then course. it's like you hear the skittering, you're finding nails on the floor where the cat flap should have been nailed shut, and you're thinking, "Ooh, all right, let's see what goes on here." Yeah, yeah. Um, Whilst Rose is checking out the cat flap because she's heard these noises, the doctor is there staring back at her. <laughs> what, what are you doing here? She says, oh, I live here. Says, well, what do you want to do that for? It's, uh... <laughs> so, well, I've got nowhere else to go to because somebody blew up my job. <laughs> yeah. Um, the doctor goes into the flat. 
And <laughs> not before not, not before checking if she's plastic and uh, calling her a bonehead. Yes, <laughs> again, a little bit grouchy, Colin Bakerish almost, I suppose. And we get this interaction then between the Doctor and uh, <laughs> Rose's mum. Uh, oh, oh, there's a strange man in my bedroom. Anything oh. could happen. Oh, and the Doctor is then turning around. And, uh, oh, oh no! And just walks off. And it's <laughs> the delivery of that. Like you know, speaking of Jackie chancing her arm, fair play to her ear. Right, yeah, she's, she's like, not missing a chance. I'm in my dress. I'm in my dressing gown. There's a strange man in my bedroom. Anything could happen. And the doctor just like so walks with shakes and no. Mm, yes. <laughs> the look on her face, but the look on her face was like, ah, oh, fuck her. Well, <laughs> uh, um, here there's a couple of moments that are quite interesting for me. One, he looks in a magazine and he says, well, that'll never last. Um, he's gay and she's an alien or something along those lines. Yeah. That tickled me. And then he scans through a book, almost like Johnny Five from the short circuit films. Like he's read the whole thing and then got to the end and got a little bit disappointed or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. But then his reflection. Yeah. And then he gets to his reflection and he acts like he's only, this is the first time he's seen it. Because he talks about the ears and he acts like he's just regenerated, which is something that I'm going to bring up in a, in a moment. But mm. um, this is when the arm comes back around and attacks. And I'll be honest with you, now, not so much. It doesn't bother me as much. Watching it in 2005 for the first time, super excited about this program I loved from decades previous coming back. I thought this was really silly shit. It was a bit, yeah. Um, but I think Rose makes this because she couldn't. I mean, they show Jackie putting the hairdryer on first, which is funny, you know, so she can't hear anything what's going on. But then Rose comes in, sees him getting strangled by the arm, and then she says, Oh, yeah, Mickey did that as well. You're all the bloody same, you men. You know, something along those lines, which I thought was brilliant. He's like, Yeah, I'd, I'd probably piss about with it or you know, something like yeah. that as well. Um, yeah, it, it is a bit daft, you know. I mean, at one point the arm's just sort of suspended in midair and flying about, and gets slightly gets um, who is it, Fritz von Eric's iron claw. Yeah, it felt it felt very CBBC. It felt very kids TV at this point. Now, I, I appreciate the Doctor Who is for all generations and primarily was a kids television program, of course. But at the same time. I remember the, the, the being scared when I was younger. Obviously, I was a kid back then, so I'm contradicting myself a great deal. Of course I am. But I'm watching it in my 20s now, hope it, hoping to be back watching a TV show I know I adored for you know, back in back in the you know, previous years. And I'm seeing that, and I'm thinking, oh, is this going to be a little bit more kiddie than I want it to be? It was kind of my feeling, I think. Yeah, I, I thought it was a bit daft as well. Um and yeah, at this point, I wasn't really sold mm. on Doctor Who. Um, I was wanting to know more about the Doctor, but yeah, the, the whole plastic hand flying about and just having ultra strength didn't just didn't do a lot, to be honest. Nah. Until because I've always appreciated a pun. Uh, the Doctor gets the sonic and, and renders the arm sort of inert, and then says, "See, armless." Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what, I I enjoyed that moment when he got the Sonic out and zapped it because he didn't just get the Sonic out, press a button, and it was done, which is what we tend to get in the majority of New Who, to be fair. And I suppose Classic Who and the the screwdriver gets used. Here, you see him physically skipping through the settings to find something that will work. That tiny little touch, but I thought that was really effective. 
It was, yeah, yeah, a fraction of a second to just show, you know, hearing here, you know, the switch has been flicked and whatnot and cycling through, yeah, made sense because now effectively it's it's thought controlled. Mm. It is everything at any time. It's like uh, Batman's utility belt in the old um, 60s TV show. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. Um, what followed is, I suppose, a, a bit of world building, a bit of character building. We have quite a long scene well, not a long scene, but a long walk and chat scene, I suppose, where Rose is following the Doctor, and he's heading back to the TARDIS, and they're having quite a long conversation about where he's from, what's going on. Um, he's quite dismissive with Rose on, on quite a few occasions in this, and then stopping every now and again when he realises that she's still there and she's not going away. Mm. It's almost like he's very reluctant to let anybody in, but there's something about this this girl that makes him almost give in on that. And then we get the fantastic speech about the, the Earth revolving, don't we? Which I think oh, is, well, is brilliant. It, uh, you know, I've got it transcribed. I thought you might. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I kind of like they have like a, a nice little bit of back and forth where they say, "No, so your name's just the Doctor," and then she threatens to call the police. And he said, "Is that supposed to sound tough?" And like sort of. And she said, "You know, is the Doctor supposed to sound impressive?" And he said, "Well, sort of." <laughs> That was, you know, that was like the first inkling of a nice little back and forth there, even if it was sort of the doctor taking the piss. But then he brings it back when she says, you know, so the world revolves around you. And he's like, well, sort of, yeah. And I enjoyed all that. It's one of those necessary things. We've had a, a fair bit happen up to this point, haven't we? So we needed just to bring it down a sec. But yeah, it gets Eccleston. This is the first time Eccleston gets to really flex his talent, you know, and show us what he can be as the doctor. Um, when he gives this speech and saying, do you know like we were saying about the earth revolving? It's like when you're a kid. The first time they tell you the world's turning and you just can't quite believe it because everything looks like it's standing still. I can feel it. And then he takes a hand as if he's trying to transmit the feeling to her. Yes. Saying the turn of the earth, the ground beneath our feet is spinning at a thousand miles an hour. The entire planet is hurling around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. And I can feel it. We're falling through space, you and me, clinging to the skin of this tiny little world. And if we let go, and then he lets go of her hand. And then he says, that's who I am. Now forget me, Rose Tyler. Great speech. But how the fuck do you forget that? Well, this is it. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Seriously, he's just given that whole speech and made himself, bigged himself up, sounded so amazing and so impressive, then just says, forget me. Mm. And he just swaggers off to the TARDIS. Yeah. Uh, um, he, yeah. While well, you say he goes to the TARDIS, and this is another moment I was like, oh, because the noise, we hear the TARDIS noise, which again was a big thing for me watching this for the first time as it aired on the BBC, hearing the actual proper classic Who TARDIS noise, because it's never really changed throughout the years, which I think is very, very important. Uh, that I got a kick out of. Imagine if Ro- you heard that just walking down the street. Yeah, <laughs> if you look at the rain pretty quick, wouldn't you? You just thought, what the fuck, where, ah, why? <laughs> well, to be honest, I'd probably go and hide somewhere, because if that noise is happening, you know shit's about to hit the fan, don't you? I'm going towards it, because that's safety. Yeah, fair point, yeah, do you think of that? I'd obviously die much quicker than you in these scenarios. Well, depends, I won't get there very quickly. <laughs> um the, uh, the TARDIS noises, again, as I said, absolutely fantastic to hear. Rose decides to not forget the Doctor 
yeah. and heads to Mickey's and she wants to use his computer because obviously this is a time when not everyone had access to the internet as, as we do now. And the, she wants to look up the doctor and after a few random searches in what would it have been back then? Fucking ask Jeeves or some shit, would it? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Maybe very early Google. Yeah. Um, she comes across a site saying, well, she talks in Dr. Blue Box and comes up with a very primitive dated look obviously it's dated because the age it was made looking website with have you seen this man a picture of the doctor contact clive and a phone number underneath yeah <laughs> Which it's, it's, we're talking we're thinking about it we're talking pre-broadband aren't we yeah i'd imagine yeah we're still on we're still a lot of people still on dial up in 2005 i think so yeah in fact the vast majority i reckon but yeah it was um, and mickey got a chance to be a knob again you know, don't look at my emails. Yeah, now, but it was before that when she's saying, um, oh, can I use you any excuse to get in the bedroom? Oh, I f- it's like, mate, we've, we've just established that you have one mug in your house and you don't wash it properly. Mm. He's a scrub. He is. He is. I don't like Mickey. Here, anyway. I don't like and he drives. And he drives a shitty car as well, a shitbox yellow Volkswagen Beetle. Well, I don't know, because that Volkswagen Beetle probably worth a few quid mind because th- that didn't sit right to me when i was watching it might you know? be now but yeah you know, those things were still knocking about 20 years ago i suppose well this he's probably fleeced rose hasn't he <laughs> <laughs> she's been siphoning the lottery money <laughs> yeah yeah that's why she wouldn't want to take it down at that point yeah she, i have to say though Sorry, I stopped Mickey's right twice a day because he's, you know, I can't blame him for assuming that Clive's a murderer. Oh, well, 100%. I mean, even his kid, effectively Rose then goes off to meet Clive <laughs> at his house and even his kid opens the, the door and the says, the light of the Dad, is, Dad is one of your nutters. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> you can see this kid's just like, oh, God. All right, yeah, Dad. Dad, nutter for you. That's fine. Yeah. And his wife as well, Clive's wife. When she says, um, you know, just after this, after each, after Rose has pointed out Mickey's there waiting for her in case he murders her, and, and Mickey's trying to look tough and failing because he's in a fucking yellow beetle, and uh, Clive says, "Oh yeah, it's uh, it's it's about the doctor. I'm just going to take her to the shed," which sounds odd for a guy who just met on the internet. But then his wife comes downstairs carrying the washing. It's a woman. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> uh, that's fair. Weirdos off the internet are usually blokes. Yeah, yeah, normally, normally. Um, well, we say that we're we're all about equality here on the Doctor Who pod. Women can be weirdos too, mate. Let's not uh, discriminate. Yeah, um, <laughs> type putting adverts on the internet and uh, <laughs> and asking to be contacted. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, Rose goes off to the shed with Clive, which is a weird sentence in itself. And Clive starts talking to her about the doctor and shows her some images and saying, is this the guy you've seen? And this is the, this is the moment where I, I sort of come back to him looking in the mirror and ask, uh, almost acting like he's just regenerated and he's getting used to it. He's not seen his face before and so on. Because here we have images of him, the doctor, sorry, at the Kennedy assassination. Mm. We have images of the doctor with a family in uh, you know, in eight, what eighteen eighty three. There's an image of him, but also in nineteen twelve when the Titanic set yep. sail. And I'm thinking, how can he have travelled to these different places? And these are just the ones they've got pictures of. There would have been other stops in between, I'm assuming, and be involved in these these situations 
especially the one where he's surrounded by a family that he knew sure. almost, almost looking like a wait a butler of some description without ever seeing his own face you're assuming that the doctor did all of that before he got there uh, okay. that could be in the doctor's future but it's obviously in earth's past but it's not because we see what happens in the Doctor's future, don't we? For the next twelve episodes, we don't see everything. Do we not? No, no, it's entirely possible. How do you think they keep filling in adventures with like the expanded universe media with the big finished productions, um, audio dramas, and, mm. and things like that? It's it's and, and all the stuff in it, further down the line in Doctor Rivers got a whole diary, yeah, of meetings with the Doctor and adventures that she's been on. And we saw a f- we saw in in maybe maybe ten episodes max. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I'll so that's out that. because the doctor hasn't done it yet. The doctor will go out, you know, go off and do that, and and you know, a couple of you know, maybe maybe one of them was before he met Rose. It was, and you know, ultimately it might it could have been he might have done that across a couple of days for him. Yeah. Okay. Or it's, or it's so early in the regeneration, he's still coming to terms with it. Yeah. All right. All right. Fair enough. I'll buy that. I'll buy that. Uh, I really enjoyed this, though. I love the fact that there's, uh, to to quote Rose herself, a conspiracy nut. Because um, that's yeah. the vibe you get from Clive, isn't it? He yeah, well, is... he's saying he's saying first that it's a, it's an inherited cycle passed down from father to son, and it's it's all a family resemblance. But then he's a bit more accurate than he probably realises in that he thinks he's Im- that the Doctor's immortal. And then he gets all dramatic and saying he brings the storm in his wake, which is the first reference to the Doctor being called the oncoming storm, as far as I'm aware. Yeah. And uh, he has one constant companion, her death. Yes. But I, I love all of the images, especially of him at the Titanic and so on. I, I love all that sort of stuff. Um, with, with any scenario, not just Doctor Who, I think mean, that's you know, the conspiracy aspect to it. And is this guy a crackpot or is he onto something? That kind of vibe I really enjoy. But it's then just, uh, I hated this. I absolutely hated this. A, a wheelie bin starts moving towards Mickey's yellow car. And Mickey decides to get out and have a look. And then his hands stick to it. And the special effect, I'll, I'll talk about <laughs> what I think now first. The special effects now have not aged well at all. We've said numerous times on the show, Dan, these early new Who's, sometimes they've aged worse than some of the classic Who's with the the practical effects. This does not look good. The CGI with the the, the plastic bin sticking to Mickey's hands and so on. Uh, And then he gets sucked into the bin and then the bin burps. I hated (laughs) this. I hated all of this at the time, especially. What were your thoughts? It was daft. Um... Looking back at it now, what I'm looking at is going, Mickey watches the bin move towards him. He gets out like a twat. He goes to investigate like a twat. And he gets eaten like a twat. Um, but yeah, it, it doesn't look good. And it never has looked good. Even even for 2005, it was rope because I remember thinking that at the time. Um, it was slightly better when they were looking at Mickey face on. But yeah, it was rubbish. The, the growling that the bin was doing as if it was a wild animal was crap. And yeah. the, even then, I only like the burp because it's a burp and burps are funny. That was the bit I hated the most. 
because it, <laughs> coming from coming from the man who has chain wrestling, where for the uh, for the non wrestling topic, the last thing you hear on the jingle is a giant belge. Yeah, because it belongs there. It doesn't belong in a fucking wheelie bin, does it? I, just, say it's a, I say it it's belongs a bin there. Just eaten. It doesn't belong on a jingle at all. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> but anyway, I think you've lost this argument, mate. I I think I could tolerate the bin seen more because it is the plastic the consciousness or whatever getting hold of mickey by using some plastic that's nearby i think i could tolerate that more if we didn't have the burp afterwards that again felt very cbbc burps are funny fair enough <laughs> that's my only argument for it it was the growling that did for me marks like i say at least i can laugh that the stupid belching, the growling was just crap. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mickey is now made of plastic, and obviously so. There's no. Oh. <laughs> it's ridiculous. He doesn't look like a person. He looks like a character from that old kids program, Lazy Town. Now he look, his, his hairline looks like it was done by the same person who does Phil Foden's. <laughs> yeah, and and this again, I have a, I have an issue with a little bit. Because it is just a bit silly, and the way he talks as well. It's it's not it's not the it's not the fact that Mickey is plastic that I have a problem with. It's not the fact that he and Rose then go and have something to eat, and he's got even the funny voice. I can I can I can overlook that. I can tolerate that. I can try and explain it away. However. Because it, it's quite a good bit of the of the plot of the story and the fact that, that the plastic is after Rose because Rose is linked to the Doctor now because she's been near him and they want to know what the Doctor knows and so on. All of that I can get on board with. But it's the fact that he doesn't look like a person anymore and Rose doesn't notice. That I have a huge problem with. And even, yeah. if, even if you argue, oh, she's already checked out of the relationship, she's not arsed, in the car... You could almost buy into that because she barely looks at it. So I can appreciate that potentially. But when they go for something to eat, she is sat looking directly at this rubber-faced moron and she's not twigging for a second. And that I really struggle with because it makes the character of Rose look like a complete dick. Yeah, it makes it look either thick or just completely ignorant. Is mm. when he drives away, he can't. He can't. He's forgotten how to drive. I mean, if that's normal for Mickey, why are you getting in the fucking car with him? Yeah, it's not a good look at all, is it? It's it's like she's just she's gone so self obsessed, she can't even realise that one, he's quite obviously made of plastic because he's suddenly very shiny. Oh, it's just, oh yeah, it, that bugged me at the time, and it bugs me now. Mm. Um, and then she only twigs. When Mickey, or Plastic Mickey, actually starts wanting to talk about what he wants to talk about. And he's glitching, isn't he, almost? Yeah, and it's like, but she's letting that slide somehow. After all the weirdness she's seen, she's still letting that slide, and it's just like, what the fuck? Mm. And they're both really dismissive of, of, of the waiter that comes over offering champagne. Okay, this bit I quite liked. Because I didn't, again, watching first time round, I didn't twig that was the Doctor. No, did I, but now it just really bugs me when people are, uh, are ignorant to, uh, to hospitality or retail staff. Mm. 
Yeah, totally. And any bit I really enjoyed those when he shakes the champagne up and fires the cork at yes. plastic Mickey. I mean, first of all, shit weapon of choice, firing a cork. That's never going to have a real desired effect. But I overlook that because we get the effect of it going into his head. And again, it's 2005. It looks a bit ropey, fair enough. But the fact that the, the plastic Mickey kind of contorts his face in his head a little bit and ends up spitting the cork out of his mouth, that I thought was quite cool. Yeah, that was a bit of fun. Yeah, it, it, like a, on the silly side, but not too far on the silly side. Yes, um, th- they have a bit of a scrap. The doctor rips off Mickey's head, <laughs> and yeah. um, Mi- Mickey's hand turns into giant spatulas of a sort, and Mickey's headless body <laughs> is just smashing like the crap out of stuff. It looks like he's about to work a shift on two pizza ovens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it's plastic, so that'd be no fucking use. It just melt. I like how people are seeing this in the restaurant, but Rose still has to press the fire alarm because uh, because uh, Gary and Brenda are still sat over there wondering when they're going to get their uh, get the starters. Mm. Yeah, I mean, people. You hear some people screaming, but nobody moves, do they? That I can remember. No, it, it's a very it's very much. Uh, I have paid for this food. I will be having this food. <laughs> very English thing, that is, isn't it? Well, yeah, because even if they were going to run like fuck, they'd have to queue to get out the door. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, the Doctor arose, uh, and, you know, what has now turned into, I suppose, a rugby ball of Mickey's head under the Doctor's arm. That they, do, <laughs> they do start running out, and they're heading to the TARDIS. And this I loved, because the Doctor goes in, Rose doesn't buy it, they can both go into this, what appears to be a wooden box, and it's that... <laughs> It's that thing of, as the viewer, you know the crack, you know what's going on. And you're saying to her, oh, just go in. Just, and I think they tease it for so long, her going in. And mm. then on top of that, when she goes in, we don't see what the TARDIS looks like. Because she no. leaves again and looks around the outside. So not only do they tease us and keep us waiting for Rose to see the TARDIS, they then keep us waiting even longer for, for, for us, the viewer, to be able to see the TARDIS, the, the interior. And I thought that was just brilliantly done. Yeah, it was fantastic because I wanted to see inside it again. Obviously, having watched the movie, I know it's bigger on the inside. And it was very open plan and it was a huge set when it was in the movie. And you could see, you know, the different areas of, of that they had around the console and all the rest of it. So I was really excited to see what they'd done with it. But yeah, Rose, it, the only, my only nitpick, and it is a nitpick, is that she's supposedly fearing for her life. But she still takes a minute to go and have a look around the outside, even though there's plastic monsters coming after her. Yeah, I, I, I get what you mean. But at the same time, I think I would probably react in this because the, just the shock of, of the, yeah. and, do you know what I mean? It's you, Your mind couldn't even begin to contemplate what you're witnessing or what you're experiencing, I don't think. Mm. Like I say, it's a, it's a, it's a nitpick because, mm. yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great way to build it. And he's like, I just want to fucking say, <laughs> just show me. Yeah, definitely. Um, Oh, sorry, just have to say as well, the first line from uh, as Rose gets in in the TARDIS and the Doctor says, the assembled hordes of Genghis Khan couldn't get through that door and believe me, they've tried now. Shut up a minute. <laughs> yeah, he's wiring up the uh, Mickey's plastic head to the TARDIS console to be able to get a trace on a signal that is being sent out by a transmitter which is controlling the plastic by, well, we find the, the great consciousness, I think they call it, don't they? Which the is the main consciousness. Okay, there we go. The, um, the, the main villain of the piece, I suppose. But before we get to any further on that, the TARDIS interior then, Dan, 
obviously you only have the movie at this point when you're watching in 2005 as as a as a point of reference what did you think i loved it and i still do love it like i say it's 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 got very nostalgic for me over the years but those sort of swirling buttresses that hold it all up and the dome effect and the you know they had their version of the round things didn't they but it was all in like in golds and browns and and quite seemed quite warm in a way but also a bit it looked a bit old Mm. it looked like it was knocking on but yeah i i really enjoyed it i came to really love it and i like now what they're doing with the with the the most recent TARDIS interior uh, with David Tennant, um, where they're sort of paying homage to that style, where they've got a similar setup with the dome effect, except it's all white now and it's all white round things, which is a great nod to the first run of of, of New Who, while also combining the classic Who look as well. Okay. Yeah, okay. so I don't know if you picked up on any of that, but yeah, I, I liked it. It was, and obviously looking back, very different to anything you'd you'd ever seen, which I'm, I'm assuming uh, annoyed you because you fear change. Hated it, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Christ, that's what you must have thought of Matt Smith. In 2005, I hated it, but I, I came around to it very quickly. It was one of those. It was one of those of oh, what the fuck have they done here? You you are the living embodiment of. Um, of that of the line that they all say, oh, you've redecorated. I don't like it. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, but very quickly, I was on board with it, though. It was a much easier thing for me to be able to get to grips with than than other stuff, shall we say? But in my initial, I I wanted to see in in a weird way that that new Tardis interior because it's white and the rain things on the walls are there. I would have been more happy with that being the first one than what we got because of my, you know, f- fandom being based in classic who, and that's what I was used to. So it was quite a change from what I, what I'd seen previously yeah. to, to what I was getting here. So it was, and it was another thing of, Oh, hang on. This is well, more even, change. I'm sure about 50th, it. Sorry. Even in the 50th, 50th anniversary, they, they refer to it as this TARDIS is the doctor's grunge phase. Yes, and then I think that's kind of accurate in a way. Um, but yeah, sorry, I'm I'm just tickling myself here, thinking. Just imagine you was like, you can redecorate Doctor, but no snogging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it'll take me a while to get used to the decorating as well. But anyway, <laughs> uh, like I said, it, it grew on me very quickly. I was, I, I yeah. you know, at the time it was a bit of a, oh, I ain't sure. Um, Rose is upset about Mickey here because, in her mind, the Doctor's ripped his head off i suppose he's he's dead in her mind the doctor didn't even think about it and that yeah. again is another moment of how again i, I don't want to overplay it because it's not as big a deal as maybe we're, uh, the amount of times we're mentioning it but i did get a little bit again of baker vibes from that tom sort of colin baker vibes when he's he's sort of saying oh oh yeah i didn't think of that it's it was this um sorry no go on i was this is like looking back this is where rose starts putting things into human terms and making the doctor think mm-hmm. and bringing him round to thought, Oh shit. Yeah. People have feelings, you know, conscious beings do think that way. Cause, and, and she's just sort of humanizing his whole, his whole thought process because she does that. And then it's a few minutes later because the head melts and the doctor's lost this, lost the signal, but got in the vicinity and he's forgotten Mickey again because you know, the, the body's melted along with the head and she's still not got an answer about Mickey. 
And he just responds with, if I did forget some kid called Mickey, it's because I'm trying to save every stupid ape blundering about on this planet. And then they start having an argument about, you know, about, about all of that. And it's, yeah, it's, um, but you can see, you can already see even when the doctor's rationalising it, you can see that he's kind of coming round to her thought process. Yeah, yeah, definitely. A um, couple of real nice moments here, though, I, I thought. First of all, the, the Doctor gets to act proud, I suppose, of the TARDIS when Rose starts asking what exactly is it and the Doctor says it's a disguise, which is just fucking brilliant. It's comical. So it doesn't fit in anywhere, does it? <laughs> and he, he says it's a 1950s police box. And he, he sort of affectionately touches the side of it and gives a, bit, a big you know, two-feet Eccleston grin. I thought that was lovely. Yeah. And then we get the whole thing about Rose pointing out to the doctor that well the doctor's talking about the transmitter must be around here somewhere it's a big circular object and right behind him he's got the london eye hasn't he oh that blew my mind as a kid so clever really good stuff yeah using an actual landmark as as you know tying it into science fiction i was just like what and the fact that he doesn't twig and rose does i thought was really good yeah, because he's not even looking at it, because to him it's just a landmark. But she says, you know, she's like, well, that fits the description. What I did like as well, this is the, the time we get sort of, it's quite a fun uh, in, uh, exchange for me, where Rose asks him, if you're an alien, how come you how comes you sound like you're from the north? And she does her best to sound as cockney as possible when she's saying that. And he just looks at her, well, lots of planets have a north. Mm. You, can, you can't, the, the northerners were everywhere, mate, I tell you. We get bloody everywhere. <laughs> um. The doctor and Rose, and now you know the doctor has this anti-plastic, um, almost a poison, I suppose, in a test tube that will uh, uh, kill off what he needs to kill off. And they hold hands, which is quite nice, and it shows there's a bond building here. And they're running towards what they think the transmitter is, which is where the consciousness will be, which is the London Eye, obviously. And uh, have you seen any of the Doctor Who Confidential yet, Dan, on the iPlayer? I have not. No. Okay, the one for this episode talks about bringing the Doctor back and what they want to do and so on, but this particular scene here, where Rose and the Doctor run down the road towards the camera, and they've got a London bus in the background, it's quite interesting, they only have a couple of seconds on it on Confidential about how they filmed it, mm. but they had to, they there was London buses all over the place, and it was decided by the producer and the director that they wanted a London bus in the background of this shot as they were running down that road. And then naturally, by the way, things work in real life. A bus didn't turn up for hours. <laughs> so they were hanging around waiting for a bus to go by. And then when a bus started, cause they didn't, you know, they, they didn't commandeer one. They didn't ask for a London bus to do this. This is genuine traffic and they're filming mm. alongside it. So it was a case of waiting for the bus, timing it right and getting the shot. And it, it works really well, I think. But these yeah. confidential programs uh, from back in 2005, they're well worth watching if anyone out there hasn't checked them out yet. They're on the BBC player, all free of charge. Really, really good stuff. Really, it, it's sort of like a um, how we made this kind of uh, behind-the-scenes effort. Really good stuff. Mm. It's brilliant. I've actually I've, I've watched the, the Unleashed for the most recent episode, so I'll have to go back and watch a few of those confidentials. Yeah, definitely. They're really good. They're really good. Um, the Doctor and Rose find the consciousness. It's underneath the London Eye. And the Doctor here is talking like the Doctor now. He's there saying... Sorry, sorry, Sam. I've just got to go back a minute because one, uh, we missed a, a really funny line from Rose that was just like so throwaway that I think it's easy to miss. But all, 
Also, I've got a great typo in my notes because they're, they're looking for this, uh, for the lair, as it were, and the doctor's saying about every piece of plastic ready to come alive. And he's talking about cables and shop dummies. <laughs> Somehow in my autocorrect in my notes, shop dummies is autocorrected to show bummies. Show bunnies? Show bummies, B-U-N-N-I-E. Oh, bummies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just got an image of a lot of wiggling asses. Oh, dear. It might, well, I, I thought shop you dummies meant, like, mooning people. I thought you meant, I thought you wrote show bunnies. So I had an image of like, you know, rabbits in a little tuxedo or a sparkling waistcoat. Oh, Hugh Hefner's mansion. Yeah. <laughs> a show bunny. But then after all that, after all that... R- and he reels off a couple more rules, just says breast implants, which is hilarious and potentially <laughs> horrific. Which, but that led that with my, my, my brain immediately went to the phrase calm your tits. <laughs> Death by booby. Um, <laughs> Death knocks. <laughs> Murder honkers. <laughs> that could oh, also dear. be a film about killer geese. Murder honk. Yeah, I suppose it could. Yeah. That'd anyway. be it. Anyway, anyway, um, the doctor says we're not here to kill it. We've got to give it a chance first. Yeah. And I, I again love that because that is the way the doctor should be, you know. So I enjoyed that. Um, Mickey is there. He's not dead or headless or plastic. He's been kept alive. And here we have two more shop dummies grab hold of the doctor from behind and you know keep hold of him mickey and rose are on, on a separate level little platform kind of effort and we see the consciousness down below reminded me a little bit of the slime in ghostbusters 2 with the effect yeah a little bit it was I, again i looked at that and thought oh that's it i mean i don't know what i was expecting but it yeah. wasn't a low res version of the um uh of the stuff that they dropped Annie in into terminator 2 yeah uh, okay, yeah. Yeah, good shite. Um, they've also got the TARDIS here, and they've seized the little vial of um, plastic poison, for want of a better phrase. And the, 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 the doctor's having... That's after the doctor said they infiltrated by warp shunt technology, so respectfully shunt off. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, this is when we, we have a, quite an interesting conversation, but we're only getting one side of it because we can't understand what the consciousness is saying. Back to the doctor. And he's there shouting back, no, that's not right. I fought in that war. That's not true. I tried to save your planet. Mm-hmm. And again, we don't really get anything more from that. But it's planet it, the seed. But it's, it's world building again, isn't it? Yeah, really. It's really good little thing. And especially knowing what we know now and what it builds to. It's like, whoa, okay, so we just started that right off the bat. Mm. But even at the time, I'm thinking, hang on, what? What the fuck? Because I was wondering if I'd missed something in Classic Who. Rather than, uh, rather than you know, something that we haven't seen on screen. Okay, interesting. Uh Effectively, the doctor then turns around and says the invasion is starting. They, they've decided to step it up, and this means sending the signal out, taking control of the plastic. And here is where we get, in my opinion, the best scene in the whole episode. Rose's mum is in town, and they speak briefly on the phone. Uh, we also have lots of other you know, people out and about because it's late night shopping. It's approaching Christmas time. And the dummies are coming alive. And it's, again, Terror of the Autons, uh, Spearhead from Space, whatever, smashing through the glass windows, mm-hmm. the the fingers dropping down on to show the gun that we had way back in the 70s. I loved 
every bit about this, apart from when Clive died. That was sad. But apart from that, fucking amazing, Dan. I was all about this in in 05 and, and present day. Yeah. Clive didn't need to die. That was, no. that was unfortunate. Um, but yeah, th- this is kind of the one where we've had to, like the initial action. We've had a lot of the intrigue and the and sort of the exposition and the world building. Now it's time for some good old fashioned alien shooty bang bang, uh, you know, planet invasion. Um, at the time, I thought this was a bit ropey. I didn't have the knowledge I do now of the Autons, as I say, and, and all of that. So a lot of it, a lot of that, was, the sort of significance was lost on me. But see, that's really thought, interesting. So, sorry to interrupt. That's really interesting because there's been quite a bit in this episode, and, and we've dived into a lot of things that I suppose probably mean more to us now than they did at the time potentially we've analyzed mm. things that maybe didn't require as long analyzing uh, you know originally but quite often in our conversation i've gone nope don't like that nope don't like that nope don't like that because it was different to what i was used to in classic who here you're you're saying i weren't too sure about this bit but my classic who fandom is making me think the opposite and going oh yes yeah. this is brilliant it's weird, isn't it? But what what the sort of nostalgia and and, and the prior knowledge brings you? Because yeah, it, I was I was all for it. You know, stuff happening, guns. It's building, you know, building the tension. How's the doctor going to get out of this one? It did all that brilliantly. But I had no sort of emotional attachment. I, I, I did it without the same emotional attachment that you did. That's all mm-hmm. I was trying to point out. It just it didn't have. Yeah. Any of that to me, but he still managed to get you know the peril of Jackie being faced down by three mannequin brides with with the gun hands, you know, and stuff like that, and then Mickey being an absolute fucking coward. Oh, he says leave the doctor; he's done for and stuff. It's like, what are you all about, mate? Yeah, he's a knob. He's just a knob. He's, he's sat there literally cowering in Rosie's while Rosie's making a plan, and she, Rosie's just kind of like, well, I've got no A levels, no job, no future, but I do remember my gymnastics from when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And then go, you know, it's the big hero moment, you know, that always comes about in these things of, of the vast majority of the time. So yeah, I was all in for this scene. It was, it was really good, and obviously it shows the even in the short time and the few interactions they've had. It's essentially Rosie's essentially living up to a potential, I think, in her own mind. Yeah, showing yeah. what she can do. After, you know, because like she says here, quite literally says, a life's on its ass at this point. Well, very true. Yes, and she does. She she swings in, um, uh, rescue, well, saves the doctor. The the potion uh, ends up going into the blobby thing from Ghostbusters Two or Terminator on the floor. Um, so, stops the signal, so all the um, supermarket dummies or or shop dummies are collapsing in in town and sort of quivering and shaking on the floor and having a funny five minutes because the signal's gone. And that's kind of it. The world has been saved. We still don't know what's going to happen with regards to this, this this crazy guy in the blue box who's come out of nowhere, and then Rose has seen all these incredible things in in the last day or so. They all escape with the TARDIS, and the Doctor then drops Rose and Mickey back off. Mickey acts like an absolute shit house again. He's terrified, terrified. Put my teeth in. He's hugging, quite literally, cuddling Rose's legs. Yeah, hiding. He's a fucking limpet. Mm, yeah definitely um and the doctor thanks rose because without her that wouldn't have happened she she has saved the world here you know she she is mm. the one who has done this and he asks rose to go with him and initially she says no 
because she's got Mickey to look after and other stuff like that. So the doctor just sort of says, okay, fair enough. And you could tell that he's disappointed by this. And mm. I think nothing here is overstated. Nothing here is overdone. It's not too big or dramatic or made too big a deal of, because it could have been quite a huge moment. Rose, you know, saying no to the doctor. And then obviously we know she says yes eventually, but it could have been massively overdone and made a bigger deal than it needed to be. But the fact it was so almost subtle between the two actors mm. and Eccleston's reaction of looking disappointed whilst obviously trying to not look disappointed was, it, was it's that fair enough. fucking gold, wasn't it? Yeah, it's that fair enough he's managed to, he's managed to convey just in, in his expression mm. where he's just sort of nodded in understanding but he's, he's got that sort of tightness around his jaw and his smile doesn't reach his eyes and all the rest of it. He's just gone, okay, that's mm. fine, I, I get it. I'll just go yes. kick around in my, giant, in my giant space machine on my own. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> That's what it was, yeah. It was, I did like that Rose just called Mickey out and she's just like, fat lot of good you were. <laughs> Mickey, Mickey calls the Doctor a thing and yeah. effectively uninvites himself. And that's when Mickey limpets and she's saying she can't go because she's got to look after her mum and, and this stupid lump. That's, lit- that's literally how she refers to Mickey. And uh, the TARDIS dematerialises. You can see the instant regret in Rose's face. And again, fantastic bit of acting from uh, from Billy Piper. Because you can see it and she's like, yep, fuck that chance as well, right? Come on then, back home. And then we hear that noise again, that glorious noise. Yes, indeed. And the Doctor just pokes his head out the TARDIS and says, oh, by the way, did I mention it also travels in time? And then just steps back and leaves the door open. And I love the confidence. Yeah, it's like, I've got her now. She's on the hook, mate. You know? <laughs> but what I really enjoyed about this next moment is it may be a contradiction to what I've said in the previous hour or so of our, of our talk here today, Dan, for the show. This was cheesy as fuck. The slow motion run and the big grin on her face. I should, I feel like I should hate it, but I love it. I absolutely love it because the music hits as she's still running to the TARDIS. And it is literally a sign of, okay, Doctor Who is back. His companion has just joined him. Now she is going off with him for further adventures. And it left me in 2005 thinking, okay, you've got me. I'm watching next week. Yeah, same. It was, not to give too many of my final thoughts away, but it it wasn't, wasn't the best start um, to Doctor Who for me. Um, But... It did enough to hook me in and think, right, I want to, if this is, if this is, you know, just the first episode, it's going to get better. Mm-hmm. This was good. You know, this was all right, but I can feel it's going to get better and they've laid enough groundwork that I want to see what happens next. But one thing I don't, I don't remember really registering is how brutal she is to Mickey. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. He fucking deserves it. Um, but it's when she, she Rose thanks Mickey. And he just says, thanks for what? And she just says, exactly. Kicks his on the cheek and runs for the TARDIS. Yeah. I was like, just, oof. You've been kicked oof. to the curb, pal. Yeah. Just a little bit. Yes, indeed. Um, well, we're here then, I suppose. That, that, that's the end of the episode. What are your final thoughts on this as a, as a story? And then also, you mentioned about your, your, your thoughts there. First time watching an episode of Doctor Who. I guess that wasn't the movie and so on. It's, it's not my favorite story mm-hmm. uh, straight off the bat. The, the villain, the nesting consciousness itself 
um, is okay. I think there's just not a whole lot made of it. You know, there's not a whole lot made of the, what the consciousness is or who the autons are. So uh, first time around watching this, I was like, but I want to know what the villains are. You know, we've got a vague sort of thing about it, but what's what's going on with them? You know, what is that? Um, looking back, it didn't need it, it. It doesn't need it. It's the story in this and the villain is is almost incidental because this does everything it needed to do in setting up the Doctor and Rose and hooking See. you in for more adventures. It's not about it's not about the villain. They put the peril in there and it works, but the villain feeling almost incidental is almost a trade off for everything that happens with between Rose and the Doctor and, and getting them where they need to be it makes it that much more consequential. Mm. Yeah. If that makes any sense, oh, yeah, totally. in, in later episodes we're going to have you know we're going to have a big thing about vill- old villains and new villains and and all the rest of it and a lot of which we've already covered. But this did exactly what in, what it needed to do. Yeah, so a, a lot of the effects are ropey. The stories, so you know, the 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 goings on, the villains that are basic. Effectively, they are there enough to facilitate what what this episode's setting out to do. It'll always have a bit of a special place. It's the first episode back, but so I'm, I'm rambling a little bit because I'm, I'm I'm trying to pass two things in my mind. As a one-off episode, it's middle of the road. As a setup episode, it does its job very well. I think that's the best way I can put it. And if we're looking on the sort of numerical scale that I, that I introduced last season, I'm trying to keep going roughly in in this one. I think it, it's hovering around that six, seven out of ten. Okay, maybe, but it's it sort of it's it's a five for a six as as a one-off episode. But it's a six or seven as the first episode of a series, if if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, I totally get you. Um, I find this episode to be more about moments than the episode itself. Mm, yeah, I can see that. Growing up watching Doctor Who, well, I say growing up watching watching Doctor Who for a very short period when it was still live. Uh, I say live when it before it got discontinued in in eighty nine. Um, and then watching the VHS tapes for years and so on. Moments really mattered to me. Seeing, well, hearing the Doctor Who music at the start of the show, that was a big moment for me. Seeing the TARDIS, the two moments that we, we initially saw, the one Rose runs past it and when the Doctor's walking towards it, when he gives his speech about the revolving earth and so on. Two huge moments for me. Um, the music at the end again, big moment and so on seeing the inside of the TARDIS, whereas initially I wasn't too fond of it, at least it was, it was still pretty spectacular and, and all that. And I agree with you as a setup to this is what we are, this is new Who, Doctor Who is back. This episode needed to happen to have introduce you to the new Doctor, to introduce you to Rose, to introduce you to how they are now paired together on this journey. That I, that I find, it, it does that brilliantly. I think it's really well done. But the story itself, uh, and you mentioned the bad guys are a bit weak and so on, I completely agree with you. It's that thing of they are kind of in the background to the setup of where we're going as opposed mm. to what this is now. And in a really weird way, 
we're recording this episode in the in the middle of the the, the three specials that have just you know being out for the 60th anniversary, and I get similar kind of vibes from the first special with Tennant and Catherine Tate mm. that I do from this. It almost felt like with the second special I enjoyed a great deal, and the third special I'm really looking forward to. The first one, I loved moments in it because Tennant was back because uh, Donna Noble was back, because you know, the Doctor was there using his sonic screwdriver, as mentions of unit. Again, moments like we had in this episode here entitled Rose. But the story itself almost felt like it was a background story. Mm. It almost felt like we're getting Tennant back, we're getting Catherine Tate back, here's how we're uniting them, and now we're going to move on with the next couple of stories where we really want to be. That's the that's the feeling I get with Rose here, this episode, because it almost feels like, here's your doctor, here's your companion, this is how they got together, but now we're leaving that behind because we're moving on to where we want to head to now with the stories in the future. That's yeah. how I feel about it. Yeah, though, that's a, it's a really interesting and accurate parallel. I could completely see that, yeah. And, and another thing as well, I think this will have done a good job and, and did for me, um, of bringing people who may be new fans in or, or have a very limited exposure to Doctor Who. That's exactly what it did for me at the time. It hooked me in enough to want to watch more of it. And here I am, 18 years later, you know, waxing lyrical about everything from 1963 to 2023. Well, there we go. I, I suppose yeah. I can put that on. Again, I can use Charlie as a comparison for that. She mm. caught literally one episode that I was, I was reviewing for the podcast and said she wanted to watch it from the beginning with me, it would have been very easy for me to press play on this episode, and if if Billy Piper sucked, she would mm. not have bought into it. If Eccleston sucked as the Doctor, she would not have bought into it. If the story didn't hook her, and where we were going next didn't hook her, she would not have bought into it. And now she's yeah. one of the biggest Who fans I've ever met in my life. So <laughs> it all stems back to this episode of Rose. Now, she was watching it, many she wasn't even born in 05 so she was watching it many many years after the fact but it still had that desired effect of hooking the viewer in and saying okay well come with us you know mm-hmm. this isn't it this isn't all we're doing come with us and for me personally actually with the watch back i did with charlie and again reviewing for this show even on the second episode i wasn't fully in yet mm the end of the world it was good it was decent enough but there was again a a, a bit of silly thrown in which doctor who is silly of course it is but it wasn't until the third episode when they go back in time and they're in cardiff and you've got the ghost lady walking around and charles dickens involved and and not Mm. not because of dickens i'm not a huge fan always of historical figures being in doctor who to be fair but that was creepier that felt like doctor who was really back for me in that third episode the first two Almost like a bedding in, I guess. Back mm. back in 05. It's interesting you say that because I th- we've said it on the on the pod as we've reviewed all those. All the well, we've now reviewed the first four episodes of New Who um, okay. across our across our first five seasons. Um, this hooked me in enough to watch the second episode. I really liked the end of the world. That had me hook, line, and sinker. I wasn't a, the biggest fan of. Um, I can't remember what it was called now, but the one with the, with, you know, the Cardiff gas ghosts. I couldn't um, remember what it was called either. That's why I purposely avoided trying yeah. to name it. <laughs> <laughs> but then Dalek was the second episode to absolutely hook me in. Okay. So yeah, it's, um, 
Yeah, and it, it's amazing that he can do that now. For you know, he did that at the time for me as a you know sixteen year old, and now you know all these years later, a, a fourteen. Is it Charlie's fourteen? Isn't she? She's she's fourteen this month. Yeah, in a few weeks time. Yeah, so 13, 14 year old, and it's still able mm-hmm. to help people in. I, do, I almost feel like I've been mean with my with my score of it now, given that it's obviously so effective at its job. But as I say, my scoring is is based on a combination of how good it is as a setup episode and and having to take it in isolation as as just an episode in itself. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Okay, well there we go. That is Rose. So uh, I, I ask every single week, Dan, what are we doing next week? And every single week, I don't have it in front of me because I'm a complete penis. Um, <laughs> <laughs> next week, we're sticking with New Who, and we are going to the Peter Capaldi run, and we're going to look at Into the Dalek that was given to us by Connor. Um, I forgot to mention in the episode, as I did last time, that Rose was selected by uh, for us by our good mate Marty, and my strike partner on the volley, Connor, has given us Into the Dalek. Interesting. I don't remember masses about that, so that's going to be that's going to be a good watch. You know, retracing those steps. So, yeah, uh, I've. I th- it's going to be another one, I think, where we look back on it and say, actually, the Peter Capaldi era was better than a lot of us gave it credit for. I liked Capaldi because he was older and he was grumpy, and that's what the Doctor should be. And that's what you are. Exactly, mate. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> David Tennant's a bit too pretty, and he. Let's be honest. But anyway, whatever. <laughs> it's hotter than Isaac Newton. Well, yeah, don't even start me off on that. Um, we, <laughs> oh, shut up. Where are we? Well, I say where are we going next week? Where can people find you online, my friend? Oh, you know by now. But if you're new here, uh, I'm on Twitter at Dan Griffin Twitter. I can't even say it. I've not had a drink at Dan Griffin 21. Uh, talking about everything from wrestling to Doctor Who to whatever random bullshit crosses my mind. Uh, if you want to hear more of me talking about stuff, uh, I'm over on UTT podcast, Unbooking the Territory. Uh, we'll look at the first and last of professional wrestling. And we have a variety of side projects available, ranging from the life and times of the in ring career of Tank Abbott to people playing gator golf for wrestling belts to <laughs> looking at the, our current side project is looking at every surviving match that Big Daddy and Giant Haystacks had from 1975 right through to 1981 when 18 million people watched them have a match at the night at the FA Cup final yeah, and I'm here as always because I always do this last and I've already mentioned one of my co-hosts I'm on the volley on SJP World Media with my strike partners the magnificent Matt Lewis and Connor from Connor Knows Footy looking at all, uh, giving alternate commentary for mostly Premier League matches uh, but also dipping our toes into things like the MLS, which at the time of this release will have happened just this past Saturday. There we go. Great stuff, mate. Great stuff. And if I'm involved in, you can find me by the network that carries this show. And that's at SJP World Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, iTunes, uh, I don't know, Podcast Republic, Podcast, what, all, all the suppliers, carriers, and providers of your podcasts, as well as YouTube and Twitch and everywhere else, Facebook uh, and so on. There's a page and a group on Facebook. The live shows are broadcast in the group as well. So, you know, make sure you're requesting to join there. Uh, but most importantly, of course, you can find and follow this show itself on Facebook and Twitter at the Doctor Who Pod. That's at the DRWHO POD at the Doctor Who Pod. Capaldi next week. Looking forward to it, Dan. Can't wait to get into it, mate. Awesome stuff. Uh, I will speak to you then. And as always, to everybody else, thank you for listening. Mickey's basically a cook, isn't he? He got cooked by the Doctor's massive TARDIS. 
massive TARDIS. Vainy and throbbing. <laughs> oh, dear me. It's the end, but the moment has been prepared for. I don't want to go. That was a nice nap. Now, down to business.